Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we begin a series on the life of Samson. Most often, in studies of Samson, it begins with his search for a wife. But lead pastor David Fossil has us start before that by looking at Samson's home life as we look at some parenting principles. Listen as Pastor Dave makes it clear that these principles apply not only to parents, but uncles, aunts, grandparents, and coaches as they work to apply what God calls us to do in the development of children. Uh, it, it was a very unusual thing uh, for my parents to have a new car. And so we, uh, Sandy and I were, were in Spain, I, I don't know how many years ago, but about 10 years ago. And uh, my dad had just got this new car. It was about a week old. And you know how when you get a, a, a car, you're, you know, the smell, it's new. And you, but you're not sure about all the gadgets and all the features and things like that. And so we were in stop, stop and go traffic. And uh, I was asked, well, what is that? And what does that do? And he was so excited about his new car. And then all of a sudden I said, what, what's that red light on the dashboard? And he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know. And he kind of started to lean in to look at it, and it went away. And uh, about 15, 20 seconds later, I said, oh, there it is again. Look at that, that red light on the dashboard. Of course, brand new car. He didn't know what that image represented. And, and he looked, and it went away. Uh, about a minute later, it came back on, but this time it was flashing. And now my dad started to kind of get a little worried. He kind of got, so he started to get stressed. What's wrong with his new car? Obviously a red light blinking on your dashboard. Is it normally a good sign? This went on for about uh, three or four minutes uh, with this red light on his dashboard until he finally found out what was going on. You see, I was sitting right next to him in the passenger seat, and I had my hand on the handbrake, and I was just ever so slightly <laughs> lifting <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a thousand stories like that I could tell you about me and my dad and my, my folks. But pretty much I drove my parents crazy, you know, and I still do to some extent. Uh, I tell you that because so did Samson. Samson drove his parents crazy. We're starting a brand new series today on the life of Samson. And, uh, but he, he drove his parents crazy in a much different way. We're going to do what, what not a lot of churches do when they study Samson. Uh, a lot of people, they start with Judges chapter 14. And jump into his story and when he's, you know, visiting the Philistine women and all that. We're going to start with chapter 13. Chapter 13 is a story uh, that tells us about Samson's home life. And specifically, I've chosen the topic of parenting and we're going to highlight that and talk about it. Uh, so especially if you have kids living at home, this will be helpful. If, if you have adult kids, it'll be practical. Even if you don't have kids, you're an uncle, you're an aunt, you're a grandparent, or you're a coach or a teacher and you have influence on someone that's younger than you the principles will still apply. So I want to encourage you, grab the study guide that's in your program. And if you don't have a Bible, turn to page 252. One of the church Bibles, uh, Judges chapter 13 is where we're going to start. We don't have the verses on the screen this morning. Um, There's a lot of them. We're going to start reading the first five verses, Judges chapter 13. And then we'll get into some of the different principles. Verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and she remained childless. But the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and you're going to have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. 
because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart from God from birth. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. If you're, draw, uh, if you're jotting down notes, the first thing we're going to talk about is the, the reason for parenting. In other words, well, well, why has, does God encourage us to have children? And the very simple answer is that children are meant to be a blessing. They're meant to be a blessing uh, to us. Now, I'm going to start with the maybe not so obvious, but it comes from the text. In Judges chapter 13, verse 5, it, th- this angel makes very clear to Samson's mom, your son is going to be a blessing to the nation. L- look what he says to her. He says, um, he says, he will be set apart and he will begin the deliverance of Israel. From the hands of the Philistines. So this little boy, who's going to grow up to be Samson as we know him, will be a blessing to the entire Israelite nation. One of the things you and I need to understand is that properly understood, our children are to be a blessing to others. They're to be a blessing to their friends, to be a blessing to people that they encounter at school, to be a blessing to the rest of our family members, to be a blessing to the neighborhood, to be a blessing in their youth group. How we raise them up should result in them being a blessing to others. Okay, being a blessing wherever they end up being employed at some point in time, that's part of the reason why God gives children. But the more obvious reason, you see it on the screen, is that children are meant to be a blessing to the family, to your family. They're meant to bring joy to your family. My my third child, Julia, her middle name is Joy. Sandy and I picked that name very simply because we were expecting, as our other two, that she's going to bring joy to our family. That's what kids should do. Now, we're going to get to the challenges at some point in time, okay? We're going to get to the difficulties. But the reality is that too many of, of, of us parents get so caught up in life, get so caught up in what our children need to change and, and improve upon, we don't take a moment, take a step back and realize the joy that they are intended to bring to our family, the blessing that they are intended to be to our family. This past week, I, I, you could tell my throat's a little bit uh, sore, and, and I, I, two reasons. One is I have a cold, uh, one, and two, I've been yelling at the TV watching the Cubs. And so during one of our games, Julie and I and when Sandy were watching, and in between innings, I said to Julia, I said, sweetie, I just want you to know, mom and I are so glad that you are still with us here at home. We have two older ones there in Southern California. Julia, we're so glad that you're with us. There was a long, awkward pause, and then she said, okay. So it wasn't quite the moment I was hoping for, but um, Sandy and I are glad that she's home. I remember a quite different situation. We were out for, I think it was a Mother's Day or a Father's Day meal, right? And uh, we never do it on Father's Day or Mother's Day because obviously a Sunday is pretty busy for us, so we normally do it on Saturday or Friday before. And we were sitting at a restaurant, and my older son, Joshua, said, you know what, Dad, I was thinking. Uh, we have Mother's Day to celebrate mom. We have Father's Day to celebrate you. Why don't we have Children's Day to celebrate us? You know? Uh, now, I, you know, I thought, it, I thought that's actually a pretty good point, but I didn't know what to say. When I don't know what to say, I normally deflect, right? So I said, Josh, do you want to know what the definition of a father is? He's like, what? I go, the definition of a father is someone who has pictures where once he had money. That's a definition of a father. So shut up. We're not going to have Children's Day. It's every day of your life. By the way, I looked this up. You want to know how much it costs to raise a kid from zero uh, to all the way to age uh, 18? 
Here's, here's the recent number, $304,480 to raise a kid. Oh, isn't that exciting? Yeah, everybody got, <gasps> yeah, right? Which kind, of, which kind of leads us right into our next point, which is the price or the cost or the challenges of parenting. Um, I, when you look up at that screen, um, I, the reality of parenting is that it can be challenging and difficult. Notice I have three exclamation points. That's for each one of my kids. I love my kids, and most of you know them, and they've turned out pretty good. But I would be the first to say that parenting can be difficult, and it can be challenging, and it can stretch you beyond what you can imagine. And, and, and you need to go into it with your eyes open. You know, a lot of times, I'll bump into someone, and they have a baby, and they go, oh, parenting is easy for us. I just want to smack them, really. And I just want to say, it won't. There's always challenges to parenting. You need to understand that. Mark Twain said this. He said, things run along pretty smoothly until your kid reaches the age of 13. That's the time you need to stick them in a barrel, hammer the lid shut, and feed them through the knot hole. When they turn 16, plug the hole. A parent was once asked, uh, if you had to do it all over again, would you have kids? And the parent said, absolutely. If I had to do it all over, I would have kids, but I'd have different kids, right? Sometimes it's just, it's challenging and you need to, you need to understand that. Um, now, if we're looking at parenting from God's perspective, he's our heavenly father. Here's what I need you to understand. The most difficult, hurtful word of Judges chapter 13 is the first word. Let me show you what I mean. The first word of the chapter is the word again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years if you don't know the story of the book of Judges, there's a pattern that repeats itself over and over and over and over again. Here's the pattern. God's people disobey him. He disciplines them. They eventually come back and obey him. But then they forget about the process and they disobey him again. So he disciplines them and eventually they come back to him. But they forget about it and eventually they disobey him again. Over and over and over again, again and again and again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, here's one of the most helpful suggestions that were given to me when uh, Sandy and I became parents were this. Don't ever forget that your role as a parent is not to be their best friend. Your role is to be their parent. Have you ever seen parents who, who are desperate for, for their kids to like them? I, do I want my kids to like me? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's kind of a no-brainer answer, especially when they move out. Do I want my kids to be my friends? Well, yeah, I want them to be my friends, but that's not my role. My role is not to be their friend. My role is to be their parent, which means that every once in a while, I, like our Heavenly Father in this first verse, am meant to do what he did. What he does is he disciplines his child. And he basically says, listen, you, what you did was out of bounds. I'm calling a foul. I'm calling a foul. I, I like the game of basketball. What would happen if Steph Curry was dribbling down? He was about to lay it up and LeBron tripped him. We went, okay, yeah, this, it's, just, it's just a story. Just hold on. I know. Okay. And so he goes sprawling to the ground. The referee comes. He blows his whistle. And he says, LeBron, Steph, get over here. Both of you stand right here. LeBron, let me ask you a question. Did you mean to do that? Don't do that again. I want you to hug Steph. Go ahead. Give him a hug. One, 
to, no, he doesn't do that, right? What does the ref do? The ref blows his whistle and calls a foul, and there's a consequence to that. See, the game of basketball is a lot of fun, but for it to be fun, there has to be boundaries. There has to be fouls called every once in a while. You know, it works the same way in life. Life is fulfilling and satisfying, but if there's no boundaries, it it begins to lose its fun. And so just as God calls a foul on us every once in a while and allows us to be disciplined, very different than punishment. Punishment is someone saying, I'm going to get you for what you did in the past. I'm going to get you. Discipline is saying, someone saying, I'm going to do something to promote growth in you. The, per- the motive is completely different. It looks the same to someone from the outside, but who is giving it is completely different. Punishment versus discipline. And as parents, we need to do the reality is that parenting can be challenging. It can be difficult. And part of our role is to do what God does in this chapter. Now, let's transition on the purpose of parenting. If you're going to write down a definition for parenting, let me show it. Basically, it's to prepare your kids to move out. That's the definition of parenting. It's biblical. I'm not just trying to have fun. Genesis 2:24. This is why a man leaves, leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Start children off in the way that they should, they should go. Go. It's time to go. Part of our job as parents is to prepare them so that when they're out on their own, they don't fall flat on their face. It's interesting when you Google 50 things to teach your kids before they move out. It can be something simple like, you know, how to manage their money or how to start a bank account or how to iron a shirt, basic maintenance on a car. There are things that you and I need to do to prepare them how to cook a basic meal so you don't always have to eat out. There are things that you and I need to do as parents to prepare them to move out and be on their own and live, right, and live. Harmon Killebrew, when he was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1984, uh, during his speech, he said this, my father taught me, uh, taught me and my brother to, bl- to play baseball in our front yard. One day, my mother came out and scolded him and told him you, that we were ruining the lawn, to which my father responded, sweetie, we're raising kids, not grass. Let me ask you a, par- a question, parents. How are you doing raising your kids? If you were going to give yourself a score from 1 to 10, what score would you give yourself? This is a big deal, right? Our role as parents is a significant part of who we are as people. Now, it's not in your study guide, but I want to give you really quickly the environment that I think kids thrive in and then what God calls us to do. Let me show you. It's Mark chapter 10, and Jesus... Um, There we go. Mark chapter 10. Jesus, this is when the story, when the kids come to Jesus. And and notice what it says. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. The first uh, thing that our kids desperately need from us is loving touch. That phrase in the Greek, to place his hands, literally means to embrace. Question, how often do you hug your kids? How often do you kiss your kids? Well, pastor, I'm, I'm just not a hugger. Well, learn. Learn. There's all these studies that are done uh, by psychologists uh, uh, on what they call skin hunger, skin hunger. And and they look at orphan children. There was this study done in Eastern Europe. They looked at orphan children and and, and, and one 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 beta group. They they fed them and they gave them all the nourishment that they wanted, but they never picked the child's up, the kids up, never picked them up. The other group, 
they fed them and then they held them and they cuddled them and they did things like that. And what they found is that that first group that was nourished and given every, all the food that they needed, that the mortality rate was off the roof. And they concluded is what they called skin hunger. We all hunger for human touch, healthy human touch. Learn to hug your kids. Learn to kiss on your kids. Now, you may not want to do it in front of school, in front of all their friends and embarrass them, but learn to do that. The story goes on. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. The second environment that creates healthy children is abundant time. You've got to give them your time. Cornell University did a study on the American household. Here's what they, they, they concluded. The average American father spends 37.7 seconds in meaningful conversation with their kids every day. 37 seconds. Beyond the, you know, go to your room and clean it, 37 seconds. Moms, dads, our kids need us. They need not just quality time, they need quantity time. Okay? Loving touch, abundant time. It says, and he took the children in his arms, he placed them in his hands, uh, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Encouraging words. It, just compliment your kids freely. Yes, there's areas they need to grow on. Yes, there's things they need to change. But compliment your kids. Now, this is the environment. Beyond the environment, and once you set this up, now you can go to the, pla to the plan. What, as a parent, am I to do? Okay? Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul is speaking, and here's what he says. Fathers, parents, do not exasperate your children. Okay, let me stop right there. What he's saying is some of us parents drive our kids crazy. Some of you who are sitting next to your parents want me to say that again. Let me say that again. Some of you parents are driving your kids crazy. Your personality type, uh, what, what you're driving at so hard, you're driving your kids a little bit crazy. You're exasperating them, okay? Be wise. Be wise in how you, how you parent your kids. Now, three things we are to do. He said, instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. This is a packed verse. Three things we're to do. Number one, nurture them. That phrase, bring them up, literally means to feed them. Now, that's the obvious one, right? Make sure my kid has a meal to eat at night. Uh, and we want to make sure we don't just feed them potato chips and ice cream. But beyond that, you are to feed them not just physically, but you're to feed them intellectually. You're to feed them socially. You're to feed them spiritually, nurture them with good food, okay? The, th the next thing is discipline your children. We've kind of already talked about this, but it's incre incredibly significant and important that we as parents go out of our way to set boundaries for them in order to help them. And if they go over those boundaries, there's some sort of consequence. By the way, have you noticed that you don't have to teach kids to disobey? Have you noticed that? They just do it normally and naturally. Someone sent me this a while back. Um, it's entitled Property from a Toddler's Perspective. Property from a Toddler's Perspective. Here's what it is, how it goes. If I like it, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's also mine. If I had it a while ago, it's mine. If I say it's mine, it's mine. If it looks like it's mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're having fun with it, it's also mine. If you lay down your toy, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. 
You know, I, I walk by the nursery back there, and, and you all we, all, we have some cute kids in this church. But you know what? Every single one of those cute kids that are right now in our children's department and, and, and in our nursery, they also have a sinful uh, nature. And they are prone to disobey. They are prone to sin. And your job as a parent is to, to, to shift that and direct them in the right way. That's our job, okay? Uh, the, the last one, nurture them, discipline them, teach them. Now, notice it doesn't say you're to teach them algebra or biology. Now, those are all helpful things if you're trying to help your kid in school. But it, it specifies you are to train them and in, in, in instruct them in the Lord, which leads to the priority of parenting. Let's put the next slide up there. The priority of parenting is to develop integrity and to develop character. What you have on the screen, Deuteronomy chapter 6, is a very important passage for the Jewish community. It's what's called the Shema. The Shema is one of their prayers that they are instructed to pray on a regular basis. And the Shema goes like this. It starts out, here's what you need to do. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. We say that. That's how you are to live. We're to love God with everything we've got. So God says, now, in order to love God, I'm going to give you these commandments. I'm going to give you these guidelines. And if you obey these guidelines, these principles, these commandments, that's the way you love me. But now notice how he transitions very quickly. I want you to impress these commandments on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Let me be as clear as I can. The jo- it's not the youth pastor's job or the children's pastor's job to discipline or to disciple your kids. It's your job as parents. We as, as a church, we as a children's department, we as a youth department are to come alongside you. But according to scripture, it is the parent's responsibility to bring the child up and help them grow in character Help them grow in integrity. That is our job. Now, in the passage itself, it also emphasizes it. Let's go back to the text. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, it reads on, it says, When the woman uh, went to her husband and told him, A man of God has come to me. He looked like an angel of God. He was very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he did say to me, You will conceive, give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink. Do not eat anything unclean. Here it comes. Because the boy will be a Nazarite of God. Some of you who may know the story may know that that Samson was a Nazarite. What is a Nazarite? It's in the text, but it's three things. Let me show you. Let's put it on the screen. A Nazarite was someone who had no wine, touched nothing unclean, and never got a haircut. That was a Nazarite. Now, every once in a while, one of you will say, the Old Testament, it's got some weird stuff, right? Certainly, we don't have to obey everything in the Old Testament like, like that, right? Is, is the Bible really telling me I can never go to supercuts? Is that what it's telling me, right? Well, l- let me help you understand. Underneath the Old Testament laws, there are principles that are worth considering and worth following. Let me help you understand what the Nazarite vow meant and why someone would take that upon. Let me show you what I mean. The Nazarite vow... When, when someone said, I'm choosing not to have wine, the Bible doesn't say having a glass of wine is wrong. But someone who chose not to was basically saying, listen, I'm going to live under God's control, not under wine's control. I am never going to put myself in a situation where something or someone other than God controls me. 
I'm not going to let other people control me. I'm not going to let my career control me. I'm not going to let money control me. I'm not going to let alcohol control me. God is the only one that's going to control me. That's what that meant. The next one, I'm going to touch nothing unclean. The Jews had all these dietary laws. Don't touch a dead body or don't, don't, you know, if you work in a butcher shop, you have to clean yourself a certain way. And they had all these rules, right? Now, in, it, it, the purpose for this was not touching any, anything unclean signified, I want to live a clean life. I want to live a pure life. I want to live a righteous life instead of being unclean, instead of being sinful. And then the last one, the one I think is the most interesting you were never to get a haircut. Why? What it signified is I want to be the kind of person, because if I never get a haircut, right, your hair's down to the back, and everybody could tell, oh, they must be a Nazarite. What was the purpose behind it? The purpose behind it was I want you to have a faith that's public. When they, people see you, when they interact with you, immediately they will know he follows and loves God versus someone who lives their life and we come to church on Sunday morning, but on Monday back at school, back at the office, no one knows, based upon who we are, how we talk, how we live, that we're a Christ follower. And he says, no, by your long hair, I want you to communicate to the entire world, I am a follower of God. By the way, did you hear about the kid who had long hair? He goes to his dad, he said, I just got my permit, and when can I drive the family car? And the dad says, well, time out, son. Yes, you got your permit, but you could drive the family car when, A, you get your graves up, B, you, uh, you, you memorize some verses, and three, I want you to get a haircut. Look at you. I mean, it's horrible. Get a haircut. He came back in a month, and he says, I'm ready to drive the family car. And he goes, I'm not so fast. I noticed you got your grades up, and I'm very happy about that. I also have been told that you've been memorizing some scripture, and I'm glad about that. But you still haven't got a haircut, so you're not driving the family car. And the boy says, you know, I've been thinking about that. And I've been reading my Bible, and, and Samson had long hair. Jesus had long hair. So I figure, why can't I have long hair? And the dad thought, and he said, you know what, son? You are right. Samson had long hair, and Jesus had long hair. And they walked everywhere they went. And so there you go. So <laughs> has nothing to do with the lesson this morning. I just thought I would, that's the NyQuil speaking. But, uh, you know, when you read the Old Testament... Don't just quickly ignore the laws like this one that seem weird. If, if you look at the second part, the meaning behind the law, could I ask you a question? Don't every one of us want our kids to be that way? I want my kid to be in God's control. I want my child to live a clean, pure life. I want my child to have a public faith. That's what we want, right? They may not have to be Nazarites. But the purpose behind why Samson is given to this couple is your priority, your priority. Yes, they need to pass their math class and their biology class. And yes, they have to be healthy. Your priority is to develop character. That's your priority. Okay. Now, let's move on. Here's our summary slide so far. Here's what we've covered. The reason for parenting, the reality that it's challenging, the purpose, help them prepare them to move out, the priority of integrity and character. What does successful parenting look like? Successful parenting, biblical parenting, is the parent that depends on God, that trusts in God. Let's go back to the story. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, 
I beg you, let's stop right there. I'm going to be stopping every once in a while. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you prayed for your kids in a way that you were begging God for something? Let me ask you another question. I don't mean to put you on the spot, parents, but how many actual minutes did you spend praying for your kid this past week? You see, I don't know why we don't connect the dots because I would think if I took a little survey right here, I would say 99% of us would say, I believe in prayer. I believe it works. And we have here an example of someone who is desperately begging God for them to bless their kid. But for some reason, we don't take the time to actually pray for our kids. I just want to encourage you, take time to pray for your children by name. Specifically, what's going on in their life? Specifically, what you're hoping for them? Specifically, what their goals are in life? Pray for your kids. Biblical parenting, parenting that depends on God, is someone who takes prayer seriously. And they're praying for their kids. Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent us come again, come back to teach us how to bring up the boy who was born. So the idea here is not only am I going to pray for my kid, but I need to grow and improve as a parent. Let me ask you a question. What specific area are you trying to improve on as a parent? You should have something that comes to mind because he, parenting isn't, isn't something you just pick up by osmosis, right? Some of us, the way we parent is, well, kind of how mom and dad parented me. And we just parent I, our kids the way mom and dad parented you. Now, the, the thing is you can take some good things from your parents, but maybe you need to let go of some things and learn some new skills. I guarantee you, and I'm pretty sure back in the back corner, Nate in our children's department, he has suggested books for parents. If you've never read a book on parenting, why not? Why not? There's all kinds of great resources out there on parenting an elementary kid and parenting a teenager. How do you parent an adult kid? You don't just stop parenting when they turn 18 and they move out of the house. That You take on a different role. But I want to encourage you to do exactly what this parent did. He was, he was praying for his kid, and then he was asking God, help me. Give me some new skills to learn how to parent. Now, this next section I'm going to read, I'm going to specifically emphasize a couple words, and I'm going to tell you why. Verse 9, God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. But her husband, Manoah, was not with her. The woman hurried back to tell her husband, he's here. The man who appeared to me the other day, Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the one who talked to my wife? Now, I'm emphasizing the word husband and wife. When you read all of chapter 13 of Judges, what's very interesting about this story is that sometimes things happen when just the wife is there or just the husband. But immediately after, they run back and try and find their spouse and talk about it with them. And it's very much so a husband and wife kind of a deal. Let me give you a principle that's incredibly important. The healthiest, most biblical families are those that are spouse-centered, not child-centered. Let me say that again. Healthy biblical families are ones that are spouse-centered, not child-centered. For some reason, some of us, when we have kids, something clicks in our brain. And I've, I've literally heard parents go, oh, no, kids are the most my, my kids are the most important and my priority in life. The only problem with that is it's not biblical. The Bible says the most important person in your life should not be your kid. It should be your spouse. Now, what I am told by psychologists is when your kids know 
the most important person in my life is my spouse. You would think that they might feel awkward. No, they actually feel confident in themselves. They feel secure knowing mom and dad, they got each other's back. Now, does that mean I don't love my kids? No, I desperately love my kids. But the number one person in my life is Sandy, right? Sandy, okay? And so it's very important. And you see this principle weave throughout Scripture, right? Paul says, uh, "You husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Interesting, there's not a mention of children in there. No, it's the, your priority relationship is your spouse, okay? Nurture that relationship. Now, there's one more thing I want to talk to you about when it comes about successful parenting, and it's this idea that successful parents have what I call a moral backbone. They have a moral backbone. I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 14. We will cover more of it next week, but I want to read to you verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and there he saw a young, good-looking Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Why is Samson asking his parents to get her as a wife? Well, in those days, in that culture, in that society, the only way you could get married is your parents had to initiate the process, right? They would arrange the marriage. This group of parents would talk to those parents, and they would arrange the marriage. I think we should bring that back. I'm all for parents choosing their spouses for their kids. I don't think it'll go over well, but I'm hoping for it, right? Now, here's the one problem. Samson says... I want you to get that Philistine woman to be my wife. Here's the problem. God has told the Jewish people, I don't want you to intermarry with the Philistines. I don't want you to intermarry with them because they're going to pull you away from, from, from the, your, your faith. They have a pagan culture. They, they, they worship pagan gods. I don't want you to marry a Philistine. So let's understand what's happening in verse 1 and 2. Samson says to his parents, I want that woman as my wife. I want you to arrange the marriage and I want you to sin against God. So now they have a choice. Are we going to make our one son happy and please him? Or are we going to make our God happy and please him? They, don't have a, they have a choice. They can't do both. The answer to what they do comes in verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and his mother. So you know what the parents just did? They caved. They gave in. You know, we're talking about successful, healthy parenting. There's a lot of unsuccessful, unhealthy parenting. Let me give you just a couple quick ones real quick. Let's put them up on the screen. Uh, lifeguard parents. These are the parents that are always getting their kids out of trouble, right? If, if they get in trouble at school, instead of trusting and believing the teacher that they were wrong, they try and meet with the principal and maybe change their mind. Lifeguard parents. Split decision parents. Here's where mom... And dad aren't on the same page. And when mom and dad aren't on the same page, you know what kids do? They very quickly learn uh, that the strategy of conquer and divide, or divide and conquer, right? I'm going to go to dad, and he's going to say no, but that's no problem because I'll go to mom, and she'll say yes. They're not on the same page, not healthy. Lawn chair parents. These are parents who are frustratingly passive, have you ever run into, they let their kids run amok and do anything and whatever. Have you ever run into these parents at a theater, at a restaurant, right, at the supermarket? Don't you wish you could spank someone else's kids every once in a while? 
that happens with these kind of parents. They just let their kids go crazy. Oh, little Johnny's being, being a little boy, you know. Okay. Then you have the Attila the Hun parent. That's the opposite. This is the aggressive parent. This is the take charge parent. It's my way or it's the highway, right? And they run their castle. They run their home. And if you don't want to abide by my rules, you're out. They're very, very aggressive. The IRS auditor parents. Now, if you're an accountant, don't get upset at me here, okay? But what does an IRS auditor do? They look for mistakes that you and I make on our taxes. That's their job, to find mistakes. Have you ever seen a parent do that? All they do, all they seem to notice is the mistake. A child can bring home an almost perfect report card. And their first comment is, why did you get a B in whatever? They can tell them, go clean your room. And the kid go clean their room. And it looks almost immaculate, except for, why, why aren't those shoes neatly, you know, underneath your, your bed? And they, they, they're a, 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 a mistake detector. That's all they notice. Okay? The NASCAR pit crew parents. I'm not much into NASCAR, except for one thing. When the car comes in the pit crew. Have you ever seen that? That is the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. Because in 13 seconds, they change the tires. They, they fuel up the car. They wash the windshield. I mean, I think they change the muffler, put a new transmission job in. All in 13 seconds. Boom. In and out. Have you ever parent that way? In and out real quick. Hurry up. It's time to get up. Make sure you have your breakfast. Make sure you wear clean underwear. Never eat yellow snow. Come back. Let's eat some dinner. Okay, uh, don't have sex before you get married. Let's pray before your bedtime. Okay, we'll do it tomorrow. And it's quick. It's in and out, in and out, in and out. Very, very quick. Some of us are NASCAR pit crew parents. Now, Samson's parents were the last one. Etch-a-sketch parents. You know what an etch-a-sketch is, right? It's that little toy where it's got the little knobs and you're trying to draw these, these diagrams. It never comes out that great, right? But you're trying to draw these lines. And if, if, you, if it doesn't turn out the way you like, what do you do? You just shake it up and you start all over again. That's exactly what Samson's parents did. God got on the Etch-A-Sketch and he drew a boundary. And one of the boundaries was, I don't want you to marry Philistines. And, and the parents are like, yeah, you know, we're going to come up with a new boundary. We're going to come up with a new boundary. Successful parents are biblical parents that trust God, that depend on him, and that are okay building boundaries. Let's wrap it up. Let's realize the limits of parenting. The limits of parenting. Now, I want you to go back to the story. We're going to wrap up, wrap it up and, and conclude with this. Um, verse 15. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay and prepare a, a meal for you, a goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I, I'm not going to eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, Offer it to God, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the, that definite article is important. He didn't realize it was the angel of the Lord. The, then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? Is it beyond understanding? Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering, sacrificed it on a rock to God, and the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife were watching. As the flame blazed from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flames. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. Then the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah. 
and his wife Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord they had seen. Many theologians believe that what is happening here is that this is, this is Christ coming into the Old Testament. Christ is still alive in the Old Testament. He just hasn't made himself manifest yet until the Gospels. That's what they believe is happening here. Now, I know I just kind of threw Samson's parents underneath the bus. And uh, we talked about them kind of not having a moral backbone. But when you read chapter 13, is it just me? They still seem like good people. They're, they're trying their best. They, they make a sacrifice to God. They honor God. They bow down to his messenger. They, they seem like good people. They, they seem like they're trying to be good parents, which leads me to this concluding idea of the limits of parenting and what I need you to understand. If you're jotting down notes, here's what I want, to, I want you to put down. Being a good parent does not guarantee good kids. Being a good parent does not guarantee good kids. There's so many parents I talk to that beat themselves up because your kids have grown up and they've gone down some wrong path and they've done something that is wrong or, or they're not following God. And you beat yourself up thinking, you know, I, I, I didn't do what I should have done. Now, there's a balance here. Here's the balance. What you do as a parent matters. What you do as a parent matters matters and it does impact your kid but even if you were the perfect parent that does not guarantee perfect kids at some point in time it's on them at some point in time they choose so i need some of you parents to quit beating yourself up so much are there things we could have done differently certainly certainly but at some point in time it's on them they get to choose it's your decision how to lead your life. Here's the flip side for those of you who are grown-ups and maybe grew up in a very unhealthy situation. Here's the flip side of this statement. Let's put it up there. Is that having bad parents or growing up in a dysfunctional home does not mean you're doomed to be messed up. I just need you to understand that because some of you grow up in really tough homes. It doesn't mean you have to be all jacked up and messed up. You can turn it around through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, I'm going to have the, the, the keyboard has come up. I'm going to read you this quick story, and then we're going to close in prayer. It says, whenever your kids are out of control, take comfort from the thought that even God's omnipotence did not extend to his kids. After creating heaven and earth, God created Adam and Eve. And the first thing God said to them was, don't. Don't what, Adam said. Don't eat the forbidden fruit, said God. Forbidden fruit? Really? Where is it? Adam and Eve asked, jumping up and down excitedly. It's over there, said God, wondering why, why he hadn't stopped after making the elephants. A few minutes later, God saw his kids having an apple break, and he was very angry. Didn't I tell you not to eat that fruit? The first parent asked. Uh-huh, Adam replied. Then why did you do it? God asked. I don't know, Adam answered. God's punishment was that Adam and Eve should have children of their own. And thus the pattern was set and has never changed. But here's the reassurance in this story. If you have persistently and lovingly tried to give your children wisdom and they haven't taken it, don't be so hard on yourself. If God had trouble handling his children, what makes you think it would be a piece of cake for you? Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you to take a moment right now and I want you to pray for your children. 
whether they're still at home or whether they're grown, I want you to pray for them by name. If you don't have kids, I want you to pray for a niece or a nephew or a grandkid. Pray for someone that's important in your life that you have influence on. Take a couple moments and let's pray for them that God would bless them. Father, I'm so incredibly grateful that you've given me Joshua and Jessica and Julia. They have brought so much happiness and joy to to me and to my family. Help me be the dad uh, that they need. Help me be a dad that you would be proud of. But Father, as we conclude, uh, many of us are parents, but we want to reflect on the kind of Heavenly Father that you are to us. We're so incredibly grateful for your patience so incredibly grateful for your mercy we're also incredibly grateful that you care enough for us that you're willing to discipline us and draw us back to yourself father for all the families that are here represented i pray that you would make us strong make us the kind of people that love you that obey you and that follow you it is our desire to live for you it is our desire to please you i pray that you would uh, Help us take the principles we've learned this morning, apply them to our home, apply them to our our kids, apply them to our nephews and our grandkids. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.